This is the United on Wheels podcast, United Spinal's podcast about living life in a wheelchair. My name is Brooke McCall. I'm a United Spinal employee living personally as a quadriplegic for almost 17 years now. Given that May is officially deemed Mental Health Awareness Month, we here at United Spinal have been focused on the realities of the mental health struggles and bouts of depression that can be common for those of us living with spinal cord injuries and disorders. I feel incredibly lucky to be speaking today with Dr. Dan Gottlieb about something that is important to all of us. Dr. Dan Gottlieb is a highly respected psychologist, author, and for 32 years, he hosted thoughtful conversations via his celebrated Voices in the Family radio show. Dr. Gottlieb has published six books and delivered over 1,000 lectures worldwide with a focus on mental health and well-being. On its own, his expertise would make Dr. Gottlieb a wonderful guest on the subject. I feel especially privileged in that I get to delve into Dan's personal experience with spinal cord injury. Dr. Gottlieb has lived for the last 40 years as a C5-6 quadriplegic. Dan has raised children, gone through divorce, reached career pinnacles, found new love, and experienced his own struggles with depression all from his wheelchair. His awards and accolades are many, but the essence of his philosophy is simple. His business card reads, Daniel Gottlieb human. You're listening to United on Wheels, the web's best podcast for active wheelchair users. Hosted by Brooke McCall. Connect with United Spinal on Twitter via United Spinal. Follow United Spinal Association on Facebook. Visit our website, www.unitedspinal.org. Welcome, Dr. Dan Gottlieb. Uh, how are you today? I'm, I'm good. It's a beautiful sunny day, um, and I'm looking forward to our conversation, Cook. <laughs> Me too. It's been really interesting. Um, I, I I hadn't heard of you before, which I'm surprised to be about now, but um, just in looking over some of your work, um, it's really resonated a lot with me, so uh, this conversation is definitely a, an exciting opportunity for me. Um, I, I wanted to start off uh, just asking you a bit about your own mental health evolution really over the course of your entire life, um, uh, both given the fact that you were injured well into adulthood as a father, um, as a husband, and um, as someone who was, you know, in the midst of a successful career, and just how that as affected your emotional trajectory really right away and uh, then really the whole time. Well, here's... One of the things I wanted to talk about, Brooke, sure. is that, you know, you know the phrase, everybody's different. But when we have a spinal cord injury, whether we get depressed or not, depends on, A, our genetics, the life we lived up until now, if we had a history of trauma, and so on. And then this terrible event happens. So if we've got a history of, of trauma, mental health problems, lack of support, negligence, um, then, we're, then we're at high risk. So in terms of my mental health, um, across the lifespan, uh, I, got, I got good news and bad news. See, <laughs> the good news is that you know, I, I had a supportive, loving family. 
my parents and my sister. We had a community around us. I felt safe and I felt loved. That's the beginning. The bad news is both my parents had tendencies towards depression. No, they either of them had a major depression, but they were on the depressed side of the continuum. So I've got those genes. So I was particularly an insecure kid. Um, and when I got in school, my grades were horrific. I mean, C was a good grade for me. Mm -hmm. And I was terribly ashamed. And I lied to my friends about my grades. And I started wearing a mask, you know, kind of one side of the mask was somebody who was happy and confident. And the other side of the mask was a guy who felt he didn't quite belong. And because of that vulnerability, my seventh grade teacher sexually abused me. Um, he found the guy who was insecure. Um, and interestingly enough, I'm not aware of PTSD from that incident. Um, I experienced it later down the line. So let's fast forward. I was in college my freshman year, and I was coming home for Thanksgiving. I found out. My girlfriend from high school died. So I lapsed into a depression then, but back then there were no childhood depressions. We assumed it was impossible. The doctor gave me some sleeping pills, um, which is perfect for somebody who's depressed. Um, so I, I, come in, I come in with that history of depression, and then I break my neck, which um, is not a good thing for depression. Um, I hit my depression about four years after the accident. And I have to tell you, this was the most severe depression I've ever experienced. I have to, I have to tell you that um, this depression I was aware of feeling depressed. Believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I was aware of feeling crazy. My mm -hmm. thoughts my thoughts I felt were crazy. I felt there was something terribly wrong with me. Now at this time you know, I'm in my mid-late 30s. Um, and then I was driving, and my nurse said to me, Dan, you look like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I, mm -hmm. in that instant, yeah, I'm depressed. Uh, and I went and got treatment for it. What did what did that look like, especially as someone who, you know, you were well into a psychology career, 
But how long did that take for you to, to realize that? Even what was really the time frame of, of your just feeling like you didn't know what was going on? Um, like I said, it was about four years. And um, I, oh, didn't, four years. I didn't experience depression. So understandably, I didn't know what it was. What did I mm-hmm. act like? I acted normal, or I was scared to death that I wasn't acting normal. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. scared to death of being found out. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, my behavior was more withdrawn. And right. like, like anybody with depression, I felt hopeless for the future. I felt helpless. I felt tremendous guilt, and I started apologizing for no good reason. Um, and those are the classic symptoms. You know, sleep mm-hmm. impairment is another, but you know, my sleep wasn't good anymore. So, you know, it was classic depression. So I took myself to a therapist. And um, the work was good with him. I don't think I was on medication back then. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the work was good, and it was very helpful. And I don't know but what was helpful. Uh, the therapy, per se, or the fact that I had a safe place to say everything with a man who was caring and kind of loving. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I just felt held by the environment. And um, that was helpful. And it was that. And, you know, in my case, things sure time. So I got out of it. Uh, the funny thing, is while I'm in the depths of my depression, a woman came to my office from our public radio station and asked me if I wanted to host a psychology call-in show. Now, (laughs) somebody with this level of depression ordinarily would say, no, no thanks. I'm not up to it. But me, I channeled my mother, (laughs) and I said, sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And that show changed my life. That show had more of an impact on my psychology than any, any therapy, any meditation. And is that in just the opportunity to um, have a voice um, or is that a lot in being able to help others? I know often we um, are able to work through a lot of, I know for myself with many others, giving our time to others. um, Yeah. Well, as an aside, I've (laughs) always believed that, that the path to mental health is through the pursuit of social health. Yeah. Um, And, and, and it does help. Reaching out to others does help. 
Um, no. Um, of course it was that. But when I started the radio show, well, we're talking 1985, so um, there weren't many of us around. And um, so I was very self-conscious, and I was afraid if people knew I was a quad, it was, they were going to turn, turn the radio. Mm-hmm. Well, um, eventually, I had Teddy Pendergrass on. I don't know if you know him. He was... Uh, yeah, the, I do, yeah. You do. The R&D I do, yeah. in the, in the uh-huh. So... Um, I had him on, and we talked about uh, what it was like, what it was like on the inside. Um, and it was a very powerful show for me. And when I opened up like that, I got such a response from the viewers, um, supportive, um, gratitude, and I found they opened up to me at a different level. So I continued. I talked about my learning disability and my school failure. And the same thing happened. They opened up. They talked to me in more depth about their fears and their failures. And, and then I talked about my depression and so on. There is nothing that I haven't talked about. And the more open I am, the more vulnerable I am, the more loved I felt. That's, that that's makes, how it Yeah. That makes beautiful sense. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. I think um, which is something that I'm hearing with what you're saying and something that um, I think is really important just in my own experience is um, really the fact that you were able, first you were able to recognize um, even the situation you were in, that you were in the depths of depression, but then being able to, you know, put that out there and feel, you know, let your, allow yourself to be vulnerable um, helps other people, like you said, open up, but then also helps clarify just even, um, you know, sometimes if you're feeling depressed, some people don't completely understand even what that looks like, um, you know, thinking being sad, sadness is, is actually that's depression, and, and while it, of course, it's a symptom, um, and I, I like I. It was helpful for me to really recognize that it's really a feeling of hopelessness, uh, like a, a fully hopelessness, and feeling you can't be helped. That um, that is, you know, real depression. It's um, not just you know a passing sadness. And um, I kind of wanted to ask you a bit about just some of those differences and um, between just the situational depression and then something like a major chronic depression. Just so our audience. Um, Kind of is able to recognize some of those. Brooke, I think you just did, and you did it beautifully. <laughs> okay. um, I think the major depression uh, we both just described based on our own experience. Yet yeah, it's, it's helplessness and hopelessness. It's guilt. It's shame. It's sleep impairment. It's um, changes in your eating habits. Um, it's all. It's all that. I've, and depression. Um, mm-hmm. Situational depression. Um, there's a vast difference between feeling depressed and having a clinical depression. 
major to uh, mm-hmm. You know, when, when, I don't know about you, Brooke, but when I have to go to the hospital again for something and I discover you know, something else I have to live with, um, I, I'm sad about that. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. frustrated. I might be angry and sad about that. Um, but it's sadness. It's mm-hmm. not depression. And even if I go to my room and I tell every morning for a couple of mm-hmm. hours, it's still mm-hmm. not depression. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I had a similar experience, and I, and I, I mean, it's perfectly understandable that somebody would go into a major depression. Um, I, I didn't. I had a lot. I was very frustrated, and I had a lot on my plate, and certainly overwhelming. Um, but I, I was not initially depressed. I have found that that has um, periods of, of actual depression. Um, I feel somewhat lucky they haven't been enormous, but it definitely, there's those moments where you feel kind of lost, like you don't know how to help yourself and you don't even know how to ask for help, Um, kind of like what you had said about feeling crazy, not understanding, um, you know, what is happening to me. Um, And it's just this hopelessness, which I think a lot of people experience with injury. You know, we are feeling somewhat helpless. We physically are somewhat helpless. Um, especially for a lot of us in the beginning when we don't know how to manage that. So, I mean, it, it, it all makes sense that, um, you know, there's a lot of so, turmoil early on. Yeah. I, I'm going to go back, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't. <laughs> helplessness and hopelessness. So I want to go back to around my depression. And I promised my family that I'd give it three years. And then if I decided I couldn't live with it anymore, I would, I would end my life. So it's three years. And I take myself into my room. And I, I, I don't know who I was talking to. You know, I'm not a believer, but I, I, I guess I was talking to some higher power. And I said, I said, look, I said, I'll live with this if you give me hope that one day I'll walk again. And the voice Mm -hmm. back says, no hope, live or die. And I said then, give me hope that I won't get so, so sick every year. No hope, Mm -hmm. live or die. And that's where I was with that Mm -hmm. stark choice. Am I going to live with this or am I not? And mm-hmm. I chose I chose life, and right. I and I think that's something at a certain level we all need to do. There's a difference mm-hmm. between living and choosing life. I agree. Yeah, I think that's such a a big like yeah. an, a very epic point in anyone's journey is not letting yourself be in that liminal state, you know, right. you know, where right. you haven't well, chosen to move forward. Right. How, what are some of your strategies for um, building that 
resilience for someone who just doesn't understand what that looks like at this point? Uh, well, um, resilience. I got my doctorate degree despite the fact that my grades were so bad. Um, I flunked out of college my freshman year. I got into Temple, um, but no matter what I did, I couldn't get into their doctorate program. So I got into their master's program. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I said to myself, because I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. When I was 12 years old, it wasn't a wish. I knew I was going to be a psychologist, and I would do anything I needed to do to get there. And you, mm-hmm. you can imagine how many times I got knocked on my ass and dissuaded. But mm-hmm. I would do anything. Um, so, including making friends with the department chairman's secretary. Um, <laughs> so, so I, ultimately, I got my doctorate a few years later. But that's resilience. You know, mm-hmm. resilience is when you have your eye on the prize and you get knocked on your ass over and over and over, but you still have your eye, your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. So that's one example of resilience. But um, I, I want to say that we are all resilient people. We're all creative. We all know ways to solve our problems. It could be buried inside, mm-hmm. but it's in there. And here's, here's why. This is really important. If you think back over your life, book and all the things that have happened to you, and you know, I don't know, could have been 20, 30, 50, but Look at what happened to you after the event. You came mm-hmm. back to living. You came back to living. So that means 20 times you got knocked down and you resumed your life. We remember. We remember the adversity we lived with. But we don't remember that we came through it just fine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So that we, we never get to have access to that resilience or, or more important, but faith in that resilience that's inside of us. And, you know, there's an evolutionary for that. You know, when, when we were in caves, when we were in caves, you know, yeah, you had to remember the dangers out there. But, you know, you didn't have to remember how you got out of it. So, you know, we carry that yeah. till now. Right. Yeah, no, um, that to me, that makes um, a lot of sense. That is definitely something I know I've seen in others and, you know, I see in myself. Um, there's a point where it, it's really healthy and, and important. You know, we have to have self-compassion, but also just to feel proud, you know, we've all come as anyone with a spinal cord injury, but really as humans, we've all come um, through 
concrete yeah. processes and the fact that, you know, everyone who's able to, you know, keep keep striving and um, putting themselves out there to live a full life, you know, um, we need, to, I, there's a time where you have to kind of give yourself a pat on your, on your back. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but, but it's true. Well, yeah, I mean, given the choice of life and death, you know, we choose life. And when we get knocked down, part of the reason we get up is because we want to live. Even if, even in the middle of all this stuff we might be going through, we want to live. Mm -hmm. And that's why we get upset with the trauma. And when we get out, you know, we got what we want. We want to Yeah. We do. Um, We touched on it a bit prior, but I I just kind of wanted to ask, um, since really a lot of what we were talking about is just is living, you know, trying to live as full of a life as possible with a spinal cord injury. Um, uh, and I shared with you and I'll share with um, our audience that um, I'm finding it a lot more difficult now at, for me, 17 years coming up this summer um, out from my injury, I'm just kind of trying to maintain what I'm calling a healthy quad life balance. Um, but just um, managing a career, and um, I want all the big picture things that I always want, wanted, and I've found success in in major, you know, life aspects, education, career, and personal life. Um, but I have also find, found that it's often not at the same time. So I make a, a sacrifice of of one or the other, and um, in order to find my success. And I wanted to just kind of have your take. Of, um, of on maintaining the balance, you know, um, the fact that you're a, a father and a grandfather and, um, you know, successful well, radio host and all kinds of things. And you found love at, at age 60 after after your divorce early on. Um, beyond love. <laughs> um, so um, that balance, we're fragile people physically, and for many of us, most of us, emotionally. So these broken bodies have been through tremendous adversity. And what have these bodies done in in the face of adversity? They keep getting up. They keep us alive. So Mm -hmm. not only well, I have tremendous gratitude for my body. But what we have to do for these bodies is nurture them. Like we nurture our soul. So mm-hmm. um, I would ask you, what nurtures your soul? All three things? One of them? <laughs> two of them? I mean, that's that's the question. Because if you're not getting enough nutrients, then you're going to hurt yourself in the long run. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, yeah it's, it's an interesting aspect, just given that how much time, time and energy um, is consumed just with 
maintaining our injuries um, is a lot. And mm -hmm. then to, to try to successfully do, um, you know, some of these other big picture things, um, yeah, it sounded like you can do two at a time and then switch, the, you know, I keep turning uh, two out of three. And I'm, it's actually way more than just the those three, of course. There's so much, uh, so many other things in our lives, but, um, you know, and especially as, as we age, um, it gets harder and our, our time feels, um, you know, more limited sure. and sure. yeah, sure. definitely pain and all the rest of it. It's a lot, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's doable. So, I mean, plenty and people are doing it, I guess. Yeah. Listening to um, yourself and kind of making those goals. So many of us beat ourselves up because we're not being the person we think we should be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you have any of those shoulds inside your head or if all this is bringing you pleasure. But if your lifestyle is causing you stress, you got to take a look at that because mm -hmm. stress is going to kill you. Right. Literally. literally. Right. So, no, I, I agree. Nurture. And plus, yes, even if you're taking the time, you know, it, I know that for myself, I'm, I try very hard to maintain, you know, my social aspect and, and have fun, nurture myself. But if I'm overdoing it in other aspects. Definitely, I'm not enjoying myself to my full ca capacity, and, and that's always disappointing. Yeah, I mean, look, you chose life, but why? <laughs> you know, was it, was it to uh, work yourself, you know, in, into a stressful situation? Well, yeah, you know. It, it's 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 an, it's an interesting thing, and I um I feel like often just our our day to day um, struggles as people with spinal cord injuries um that's not often recognized. So it can it can feel you can feel misunderstood even in normal like average situations because you know sometimes if you're need to be somewhere early in the morning and you know everyone else is practically just got up and I'm like, I got up three hours ago and I don't know. Uh, I feel like sometimes uh, recognizing that in myself and, and saying, okay, give yourself a break. Um, it's important Nur to see that with others as well. Nurture yourself. Uh, <laughs> when people want me at a meeting at nine in the morning, I, I simply say, that's not going to happen. <laughs> because like you, it takes me three hours to get from uh -huh. bed to to ready to start my day. I'm I'm not right. waking up at at five o'clock for some stupid meeting. <laughs> so inevitably, all I have to say is how difficult it would be, and how long it takes me for my morning routine. And I apologize for the inconvenience, but. This is my body. I, I want to take care of it. Because it's right, getting, you know. after 40 years, it's getting, my body is getting more 
tired and weaker and more symptomatic. So mm-hmm. I, I want to take care of it like, like a, a, you know, we would for a baby who's crying. That, that's how I feel about my body. That makes sense. Definitely, um, I do see that we need to set so many more boundaries um, as people with SCI. Yeah. It, it seems very clear. We have to be. We have to be comfortable with our own vulnerability. You know, to be able to say, um, "I need to do this now," or "Can you help me with that?" Or, no, I've said in a meeting, I said, excuse me, I'm in dysreflexia. I'll define that later. I had to leave the room Mm -hmm. right away. And I came back and I told them what was going on. So, um, you know, I'm very open with with my vulnerability. And, And part of the reason is because when I was in my depression, a colleague of mine came over the house. And at one point, she put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, Anne, you're a teacher now. Like it or not, you're a teacher. What you Mm -hmm. teach the larger community is up to you. That was very profound. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's that's a great piece. And I feel like um, that's relatable for so many of us, even when we haven't, you know, maybe we're not technically in a, a role that you'd you'd think that. But we are all teaching people. And so, yeah, yeah. setting those boundaries yeah. and being vulnerable really does open up the conversation quite a bit more. I, uh, I, smile, at almost, I, I smile at almost everybody I see. Now, um I live on the East Coast, so that could be risky, but do it anyway. And, you know, people, people smile back. It makes them happy for that second, um, so, but it certainly makes me happy, you know, when I mm-hmm. smile at people. And I do it I, because I'm teaching. Yeah. Oh, I, and it feels good. I'm, I, I know for me, I'm, gen- I'm a smiler. Um but I know that if I'm having a terrible day, you know, things are just going wrong and I just can't do it. It's, um, yeah, just my own interactions and, and passing people. Not, of course, everyone doesn't smile back always, but generally it's a nice exchange and it, it does improve my day. I like to think someone else is experiencing something similar. Sure. I sure. I feel like we've covered a lot of great, um, great things, but I was, Wondering if you had any additional, um, just any ex- really advice for someone who's currently experiencing depression or just um, having a harder time coping or, or choosing life um, after spinal cord injury. Um, I can't help them decide whether or not to choose life. If they're mm-hmm. leaning towards not choosing life, if they're leaning towards ending their lives, I highly recommend they mm-hmm. go find a therapist just for half a dozen sessions. 
just to mm-hmm. sort out if it's depression, which is treatable, or if it's rational thinking. And, you know, I treated a woman, it's heartbreaking, she was young, she was in her early 30s, and um, she wanted to end her life. And, you know, I spoke to her, I spent several sessions with and um, she was pretty clear-minded. She didn't sound depressed at all. And um, she didn't have much of a support system. So, um, you know, I bade her goodbye. And um, I was hoping I would see her again. But she took her life. Uh, I, I think we have to decide this. Do we choose life or not? And if we choose life, know why you chose life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and people suffering with new spinal cord injuries, um, I, I want to say this. Some of us go down with uh, depression, low self-esteem, anger, self-pity. But surprisingly, we're not the majority. We're the minority. Um, And majority feel whatever they feel, but they get through it. And most of us return to baseline after the Mm -hmm. injury, baseline emotion. Um, And just give yourselves time. This is yeah. terrible what you're going through. It's terrible. Um, so, and one other thing I want to mention, but that I forgot. You know, we talk about post-traumatic stress, um, but it's important to know about post-traumatic growth because many of us experience post-traumatic growth. I just gave you an example of mine. Mm-hmm. And I have PTSD, too. I both. Mm-hmm. Um, but this post-traumatic growth has, you know, I, I mentioned changed my life. It's, it's like when a, a mother has a child that was born autistic or with some significant disability. You know, you talk to them a few years later, and inevitably, the majority say, this has changed my life. It's, mm-hmm. it's awful what I live with day by day, but it's changed my life. It's made me more loving. Mm-hmm. I, and I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I've not ever heard it called post-traumatic growth, but that, um, that's a wonderful wonderful thing to put around um, around it. I know for me, I definitely have felt opportun- so many opportunities for growth and even understanding myself because I just had time to look inward and um, really redefine my goals. And I mean, I'm kind of what I said before about being proud of ourselves, but each one of us is battling something that's often larger than potentially anything else they've experienced. And we do, you know, generally are able to get back to baseline. And um, so I, I think that's, that's a wonderful point. 
and something that people should recognize potentially if they aren't there quite yet. Um, you know, you're doing, we're all doing big things and um, there's opportunities for sure to find a new reality. I gotta, that. I gotta tell you, I was been quite, quite ill for about six weeks. Mm. And um, I didn't know if this was the end. So I felt so battered down after mm -hmm. 40 years. Um, and I told my family that, to how tired I am. And I am. Mm. Um, I'm also 73, so it's a combination of them. But, mm. but um, you know what? I, I realized a couple of days later, I want to live. I want to live. Mm -hmm. And given what I've been through, given that I'm at risk for it happening again, given the fact that I'm 73 and 40 years of crime, I don't know. I'm not buying long-term health insurance. That's for sure. Um, I really don't know. But it feels fragile to me. And... It feels precious because of that. And I can sit by my window and watch the leaves on a tree. And which, which ones flutter in the breeze, which ones don't. When I get to see the backside of the leaves, I could do it all day. Um, I have a 20-year meditation practice. And I do that because it helps me. Be alert, aware of what's mm -hmm. happening right now. And, and I have to tell you, I am so in love with my life, with my body, with my ability to see beauty around me, love all the people I love dearly, and all the people that love me. I mean, that is called just a beautiful life. And despite all this crap, I am better off, I don't know if you can say this, than 95% of the people on this planet. I am happier mm -hmm. and have more well-being, despite all that we live through. Mm, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdoms on this. Um, I, I I agree. I love the thought, that thoughtfulness and um, and the thought of, of spinal cord injury and just living life beyond. It is an opportunity to observe and learn more about life from a life from a perspective that we often are not. Um, we just don't have that opportunity. I know that I I didn't feel that way previously. So um, it's really wonderful to hear that verbalized and. Um, I really hope our paths cross again. Uh, your voice, your story, your heart really touched me deeply. And um, I'm so grateful to you. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I, I feel the same. You're listening to United on Wheels, the web's best podcast for active wheelchair users. Visit our website, www.unitedspinal.org. Thanks for listening.